You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Yeah, welcome everybody online and in the room today. So great to be with you. How about worship today? Wasn't that amazing? So fun, meaningful of water baptisms. That was great. Uh, listen, just a couple things real quick before we get going. First of all, you may be able to detect or to notice I've been a little bit under the weather. I appreciate everybody <clears throat> praying for me uh, this week and just want to apologize to all of our guests and visitors as we get going because normally <clears throat> I don't sound this good. <laughs> normally I'm kind of high and whiny and nasally, but today you get the bass note. So you're welcome. Um, and also, before we get going, I just wanted to wish you a happy Lunar New Year. Yeah, for Christians from an Asian or Asian-American background, you may know the Lunar New Year is a different way of, of tracking the calendar, marking the calendar. Uh, it's celebrated with family and friends and food. And as always, if you get that hot pot invitation, be sure you say yes and take it. Here we are, the month of January, we're looking at the miracles of Jesus in the Gospel of John, and our scripture reading today is going to be on the screen. It's from John chapter 9. Here we go. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir, the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. That's the reading of God's word. All his people today said, amen. Yeah, maybe you've seen the Netflix documentary came out, I think last year. It's called Thai Cave Rescue. It's all about the true story of the boys soccer team from Thailand. 12 players, 12 young boys around 12 years of age, plus their coach had been out swimming in the ocean when a giant storm blew over. So they retreated to a cave near the beach to take shelter. But it kept raining and raining and raining and the water kept rising and rising and rising. So they went further and further and further back into the cave until they were completely trapped and stuck inside the cave for two weeks. And so this international rescue plan was put into place to try to rescue the team. 90 divers 
from around the world, plus logistics people, plus science people, all coordinated this daring rescue plan to try to save the boys before the caves completely flooded. And one of the rescue divers later described what it was like swimming through the flooded caves underwater. He said it was so dark during the 11 hour one way journey underwater to swim to where the, to find where the team was huddled. He said you could put your hand right in front of your face, but you couldn't see it. You'd be completely unable to see it. He said it didn't matter what he did. He couldn't see his hand. The darkness was so absolute. It was so complete that effectively he was blind. And I want to tell you that picture of that diver in that moment is a precise description of the human condition that the Bible gives us about who you and I are spiritually. Front to back, the Bible insists that we, on our own, like that diver, are spiritually blind. On our own, we cannot see. On our own, we are unable to find our way out of the dark. Oh, but the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus came to change that. He said, we just read it, he said, I have come so that the blind will see. So today, whether you've come in saying, well, Morgan, I'm not blind, I'm good on my own, or whether you said, yes, Jesus, open my eyes, or if you'd say, I'm not actually sure where I am today, I would hope that you would hear today that this passage wants to speak to you about where you are with respect to relationship with Jesus. Let's ask this question and get going. What does this sign, because after all, these are not just miracles. John says they're signs or pointers. What does this sign say to us about how Jesus deals with spiritual blindness? So this Jesus does three things. We're gonna look at them in turn. Number one, he releases recreation. Number two, he confronts anti-creation. And finally, aims us at future new creation. So he releases something, confronts something, and then aims us somewhere. Let's all look at these one by one. Here we go, number one. Jesus deals with our blindness by releasing recreation. Okay. Over the years, a lot of people have had some problems with this passage, but maybe not for the reason that you might think. Let me give you an example. Probably the most famous and most public person recently who's had a real problem with this passage has been the actor, of all people, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, the guy who played the Joker. No joke intended there. Okay. But he was cast to play the person of Jesus in the 2019 film, Mary Magdalene. And when it came time for him to film this specific miracle, the John 9 miracle of Jesus, he described being offended by how Jesus did the healing. And he said this. He said, yeah, I knew about that scene from the Bible, but I guess I had never really considered it. Phoenix told CNN in a recent interview. He said, when I got there, I thought... I'm not gonna rub dirt in their eyes. Who the blank would do that? It doesn't make any sense. That is a horrible introduction to seeing. So instead, Joaquin Phoenix just chose to act out the scene in the way that he saw fit. Now, I tell you that not to make you mad. Uh, I tell you that not to make Joaquin Phoenix look bad. After all, we should always acknowledge it's tricky to play the son of God on a screen. Okay. But I tell you that because his comments only prove the point, unless you grasp what and why Jesus is doing what he's doing here, you'll remain blind to it and miss the power of what he's trying to bring about. What is Jesus doing? Here it is. If you're tracking with John, you know that not only is this miracle what he called, is what he calls a sign, but it's the sixth sign 
out of the seven, he selectively chooses to record. He tells you at the end, Jesus did way more miracles. I've only included seven on purpose. So John not only has been tracking along with the seven signs of Jesus, okay, but he's been deliberately presenting Jesus as the healer of the world. And so if God made the world in seven days, and it's all come undone through human sin, Jesus is putting it back together. Think about it. What was made originally on the first sixth day? Come on. On the sixth day, God made people. This isn't a trick question. Okay. On the sixth day, God made people, male and female. Now, quickly, I don't have time to go into all that's happening here in Genesis. People rightfully ask, understandably ask, Morgan, was it literally seven days? And my short take is that Genesis 1 is a wonderful place where both science and art collide. And if you want more on that, you can go back to a podcast from a few years ago and get my full take on that. But the point of what John is showing us is this. With his sixth sign here, Jesus in John chapter nine, is doing a day six recreative miracle. Because how does the author of Genesis say that God originally made people? Come on, Genesis 2, 7. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Oh, what's this? God in Genesis two reaches down into the dust, into the dirt, into the ground, and then along with his own breath, the own, his own moisture from his mouth, if you will, creates the first human? That's right. And therefore, again, in John 9, what's Jesus doing? The same thing with another man. Jesus is doing a day six recreative miracle with the dirt and the moisture. Let me tell you, Jesus is not trying to insult this man or you or me or any famous or not so famous actors, all right? Instead of being a horrible introduction to seeing this, I hope you'll see, is the most beautiful, honoring, poetic thing Jesus could have done. Because in full view of all of his disciples, all of them steeped in this story in Genesis, Jewish law, tradition, history, Jesus reaches down into the dust, combines his own breath with it, and places it on the man's eyes. And therefore, if his disciples were offended by anything, it was only because they, in that moment, finally understood what we, and famous actors, may not, that this action by Jesus was yet another claim to divinity. Jesus is claiming and demonstrating the power and the authority to bring this man's sight back to life, back to wholeness, back to God's creative intent. And he does it not only with the same day six recreative power, but with the same day six, here it is, recreative, creative purpose, which is to bless and to commission to bless and to commission. What do I mean? We're going to pause here and unpack this for a minute. In Genesis 1, again, when God made male and female, it says this, God blessed them. And this, you should hear, is the state, original state of every human, including you today. No matter how you say messed up you are or, man, tore up on the floor up, as the old saying goes, this is you. We are still blessed. We are not cursed. 
but we are fallen. We are fallen, and yet even in our fallen state, we're still blessed. We are made on purpose, for a purpose, by a creator who gives us purpose. We're made in his image to love and be loved by him. This God, the God of the Bible, the Christian faith, is a God of blessing. He blessed them in the garden, Genesis. Jesus blesses this man in John 9. He loves to bless, and some of you need to hear this, and some of you need to know this today and feel this, that you are blessed and that you are a blessing. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're in this family. We're glad God made you. We're glad God brought you here to Austin. No matter you, man, well, not my choice to live here, man. Rent's getting real high. Look for somewhere else to go. Stay here. We like it here. We like you here. You don't need, you don't need it to look like that TikTok influencer to be a somebody. You need to look like the athlete who's been, works out nine hours a day, praise the Lord. The actress who is a stable of cosmeticians and trainers and a, you know, a clothes consultant along with an infinite budget to help her feel blessed or him blessed. No, no. You are made in God's image. You are blessed. So say it with me now. I am blessed. Yes. Say, God loves me. So he made me. I'm blessed. Yes. And then when God creates, you can stop talking now. That, 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 that portion's over. Thank you. Otherwise, this could go on for a while. Okay. <clears throat> but when God creates, he not only blesses, but he also commissions. It says, God blessed them and said to them, here it is, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, God has given humans, that would be you and me, a mission to multiply, to be creative. Some of y'all taking the multiply bit real serious. We know that back in MKids. Thank you very much. You're feeling your faithfulness to the word of the Lord here. Our mission is to create industry, science, the arts, to labor. And this is why, by the way, work is not a curse, but it is a blessing. And we're supposed to rule like God rules, not as a tyrant. Does God rule like a tyrant? No. Does God rule like a petty, selfish dictator? No. Does God rule like a consumer only? No. But as people who create flourishing and beauty wherever they go, wherever we go. And so to really follow Jesus, let me tell you, you need both of these day six creative impulses in your life. You need to know you are blessed and you need to receive your commission. That is to go to work today in the field that God has put you in. Which is, of course, why Jesus does the same thing here again. This day six recreative miracle. The man born blind, he heals him, he blesses him, and then immediately says what? Verse seven, go. Go. Jesus sends him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And in case you're missing the Genesis connection, John includes it for you. This word means send. See, now that you're blessed, you've also got a commission. You're not just blessed. You also have a purpose. And I want to tell you, when Jesus comes into our lives, he wants to remove our blindness, not just to one, but to both of these things. Now, some of you on one hand hear me. you like, Morgan, I know I'm blessed. Jesus loves me. Pretty sure I'm his favorite. That's why I'm wearing a t-shirt today, you know? You know God loves you. You would say you're a Christian, but you have not picked up your call to make a difference in the world. Hmm? Where you're at right now. If you're blessed, but not commissioned, that is not God's day six creative intent for you. And on the other hand, if you say, Morgan, I know I'm commissioned. Man, I'm working real hard. Man, I'm on my grind, you know? But you don't carry within you the blessing and the affirmation, the voice of God saying, this is my beloved child on whom I'm well pleased. If you don't walk around with this affirmation within your commission, 
you'll always turn that inward to self, to ego, to burnout, right? But to follow Jesus, see, to follow and experience the miracle of recreation is to receive both blessing and commission. We were made to be loved and to labor. And anything less is being fully human, which is what this man, of course, was experiencing in John 9. Why Jesus moves into his space. The man was blind to his value and blind to his purpose. But when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, steps into his life, he was blessed and received his commission. He became a missionary force for Christ. And we're going to look at that right now. Number two. So Jesus not only not only deals with our blindness by releasing recreation, he also confronts, number two, anti-creation. What do I mean? Back to the beginning. This whole story starts when Jesus' disciples ask him a question about the man they meet born blind. Rabbi, it means teacher, teacher who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind. They're reflecting the Jewish belief of that time that in a, you know, in a rational universe that if you experience negativity of some sort, you must have done something somewhere somehow. So that's still, of course, the, the question we seek to ask in our own way today, is it not, when it comes to the problem of pain? Whose fault is it? Why does this stuff happen the way it's happened? Who's at fault for the pain in the world? Jesus says this, verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. He kind of like, I'll hear your question and then I'm gonna raise you, you know? And this is a wonderful answer, but it's still a little mysterious. He doesn't really answer directly. Why does Jesus respond like this? Anglican priest and writer Tish Warren in her book called Prayer in the Night, I think she hits the nail on the head when she says it this way. This is why Jesus answers like he does. Because one of the reasons the problem of suffering cannot be answered tidily is that pain and brokenness are at their roots anti-rational. Christians understand evil and suffering to be forces of anti-creation. They don't fit, fill or fit in the realm of reason and order because they frustrate reason and disintegrate order. If there were a neat rationale for pain, it would necessarily fit somewhere in the order of the cosmos. But the early church's understanding of suffering and evil was that they were an absurd and inexplicable abnormality, a gross absence of the good and the true. Okay, she's saying, listen, suffering, pain, brokenness, they're anti-rational. They don't fit in the world. And because they don't fit, they're kind of like sand poured in your gas tank. Once it goes to work in there, it starts to decreate, uncreate, uh, anti-create something that was originally designed to function a certain way. Sin has come into the world through human rebellion, and it's unleashed all kinds of anti-creative forces. And part of what is also anti-rational, non-rational, anti-creative about the world in which we live is the unwelcome presence of that condition the Bible calls spiritual blindness. And it's such a deeply ingrained part of our condition that many times we even struggle to admit that we suffer from it. Let me give you a few examples. Number one, first of all, you can think of like a, the student. Maybe this was you, if you or if you've had a student. A student is about to graduate high school or college. Then they look down at their transcript and they realize, oops, the grades aren't going to be good enough for me to get into the school of my dreams or good enough for me to get the job of my dreams. And they kick themselves or himself or herself or yourself for not taking school seriously enough and blowing it off. What do they say? They often say, ah, oh, I wish I could have seen then 
what I was doing, how that would affect me now, we say, I was blind to that. You think of the, the spouse who expresses regret, perhaps, for their infidelity. Why couldn't I see what I was doing? It would cost me so much. I was blind. Or you can think of the person who smokes two packs a day for 30 years then regrets what it does to their body. They say, oh, I wish I could have seen. I wish somebody would have told me, which I would say it was on the package the whole time. But all right, anyway, I was blind. But as bad as all that is, I want to tell you, it's even worse. The human condition is such that not only are we blind, but we don't even want to be rescued many times from our blindness. The philosopher Plato saw that in his Republic. You may have been forced to read that. He created the allegory of the cave, the cave, a dark cave of people who were trapped but resisted rescue even when they found a way out and resisted rescue because they didn't like the pain that the light caused their eyes. They'd be living for so long in the dark, they didn't want to come out where it was light. And they were content to live in a formless, shapeless, darkened world. See, it was an illustration of the truth that many times people don't even want to be rescued from darkness. And if you're saying, Morgan, well, hey, I don't buy any of this. I just believe in my five senses. I don't believe in spiritual sight or moral sight. If that's you, hang on. If that's you, and yet you would say you believe in such things as real justice, real injustice, like there's real wrong in the world and people have wronged you, that means you actually do believe in a world beyond the scope of your five senses. Do you not? You do. The point is, we know we all exist in a world where spiritual and moral blindness exists. And if the Bible is right, and it is, then that blindness is a default condition of the human soul. So here in this chapter, Jesus is coming to not only confront the anti-creation, literal blindness of this man, but he's also coming to confront the anti-creation, spiritual blindness of the Pharisees, who are really, let's be honest, stand-ins here for us. Anyone who's ever looked down on someone else, othered someone else, insulted someone else, or felt morally superior to someone else. Because look at the blindness they exhibit, the Pharisees do, after the man's healed. The Pharisees, the religious teachers of a day, say this, verse 16. Some of them said, this man, meaning Jesus, is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. I'm about, basically, I'm catching you up to speed on the middle third of the reading. You're welcome. We didn't get to it earlier. <clears throat> they said, he's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. What's this? They're not happy. There's a legit miracle. They're just grouchy. It took place on a Saturday. <laughs> like, come back later when we're open, Jesus, you know? Verse 18, it says, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They're, they're trying to gaslight the parents into believing this wasn't their son. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? Verse 20, we know he is our son. The parents said, and we know he was born blind. We raised him. But how he can see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided anyone who acknowledged Jesus was the Messiah we put out of the temple. That's why his parents said what he did. But they did. Listen, the Pharisees are bullies. People are afraid of them. The Pharisees are blind to the wake they leave in life. Verse 24 says, the second time they summoned the man been born blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. They said, we know this man, meaning Jesus, is a sinner. 
He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? It's comedy hour in John 9, you know. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Oh, I love this. Now the man born blind, now healed, he just deploys undefeatable logic. He said, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he can do nothing. To which they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. The gaslight, blind of their own wake, blind to logic. They're not reasonable, rational. They refuse to see and see all that the healing of this man's physical blindness does is highlight, expose the Pharisees' spiritual blindness. Helen Keller, famous American, you may know her story, by who by two years old had gone blind and deaf. When asked about her condition, somebody asked her, Helen, isn't it terrible to be in your condition? She replied like this, it's better to be blind and see with the eyes of your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. She's right. Listen, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and unless you follow me, believe in me, you walk in darkness when he says that, is that offensive to you? Maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. What he's saying is this. He's saying, Jesus is saying, unless I'm Lord of your body, hmm? I'm Lord of your faith system, your choices, your money, your sexuality, your job, your feelings. You're in absolute darkness. You're darkness without me. That's his claim. See? And to insist otherwise means we're all kind of like divers, waving our hands in front of the face, saying, I can see, I can see, when in reality, we can't. Number one, Jesus deals with our blindness by releasing the forces of recreation. Number two, he confronts anti-creation in our lives. And finally, at the end of the passage, he lays out a choice before all of us and asks, essentially, do you want to see or not? And shows us how we can. Number three, he aims us at future new creation. At the end of the passage, Jesus does something remarkable. He actually points us towards the world to come in order to move our hearts and minds to receive him. Here's what he says, verse 39, the whole thing concludes. He says, for judgment... I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So he's describing a reversal, the reversal, that not only takes place right now, but a reversal in the life to come. This is a brilliant statement on these two levels. First level, he's saying this. At the final judgment, after all perfect and righteous judgment have been made, after Jesus has judged the world and purged the world of all evil, that was his claim, those who were blind, physically blind, and did not have sight in this life, they will be granted their sight in the life to come. The new creation will take over. As Isaiah prophesied, the, the revelator in John said, new heavens, new earth, new bodies, perfectly restored. The way things should be, they will be. At my judgment, Jesus says, when all anti 
by creation. Is gone away, the blind will see. That's good news. And his judgment, his dealing with evil will bring that about. But second, at the judgment seat of Christ, and by the way, let me just pause and say this, you actually want a God who says he'll judge. You don't want a God who overlooks the real abuse done in this life. You don't want a God who overlooks dictators and liars. You want that. You want real evil to get what it deserves. So to affirm God as judge is to affirm something our hearts desperately really want. The problem is, of course, we don't also want to admit that we're also in need of judgment, deserving of judgment, that we're all abusers in our own way, at least towards our own selves. We don't admit we're also little dictators, pretty little liars, like the TV show says, but Second, at the judgment seat of Christ, a second kind of blindness will be removed. It was those who could not and would not see that Jesus was the light of the world. The spiritually blind, he's saying, will see. Every eye will see. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will receive what it deserves for either loving the light or loving the darkness. See, Jesus points us to the future new creation of all things and claims we will meet him either in this life or the life to come. So how can we receive our sight now and allow Jesus to be light in our lives? Again, back to the beginning. In the story of those Thai cave divers, when those divers took the boys, when they rescued them from the caves, you know what they had to do to them? It was remarkable. They had to handcuff the boys heavily sedate them and attach them to their own body so they wouldn't resist the rescue when they were taken out of the cave, out of the water, and up and out into light and life. In other words, the boys had to trust there was one way out, one way out, and that was through the way of surrender. There was a kind of exclusive salvation offered them, and to take it, They had to relinquish control of finding the way out on their own. They had to allow someone from outside their world to come in and meet them and take them out. And they did that. In other words, in a way, can you see, it was their own humility that led, opened the door to salvation, which is just like this story here. The humble man born blind is rescued. The proud Pharisees remain trapped in the dark in their own cave. You say, Morgan, how could my heart trust this Jesus? Here's how. One of those Thai divers, a man from Thailand, a diver, who went under to rescue the boys, sadly died himself. He made it to the boys to deliver the oxygen canisters to help keep them breathing. He delivered the canisters, but on the way back, he ran out of air and suffocated and drowned. Every single one of the boys made it, but he didn't. He gave his life for them. And Jesus is like that, of course, except far, far greater. He came to us to bring salvation, rescue out of the dark, but we didn't welcome him. No, we rejected him and we put him to death and he was drowned under the weight of all of our darkness. And we, our hearts can trust him when we realize that even in spite of our rejecting him, he still swam across an ocean, came across the cosmos to come get us. That is love. That is grace. Will you trust him today? Like the hymn says, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Come on. I was blind, but now I see. Let me take a moment and pray for us. And Pastor Corey will come and close. Lord, I I pray in Jesus' name today that some of us, perhaps even for the first time, we may not have even walked in here today knowing 
Lord, we're going to hear or sing or experience. Lord, but somehow you've moved. That's what you do. You come into a place and you open eyes. Even on a day, we don't expect it. Like this man in the story, you're still doing it today. Lord, I pray no matter where we are, no matter where we've been, we'd say yes to you. Allow us to see, Lord, how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you are the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.